Be Christ's Church. Impact the valley. Reach the world. All for the glory of King Jesus. Welcome to the North Roanoke Podcast. Today, our lead pastor, Daniel Palmer, will be opening God's word for us. Our prayer is that you will encounter the living Lord as you hear his word proclaimed. Church, do you believe it's finished? Did you hear the invitation presented in those last few words that we sang? Join the song of the ransom bride. God bought a people for himself back from sin. He ransomed them through the blood of Jesus and all who trust in him may join in that song and know that it is finished. That your sin can be taken off of you, placed on Christ, and you will have confidence and a hope and an assurance that endures to the end. That's a reason to celebrate and a reason to sing. And if you don't have that assurance or that confidence, I would love to talk more with you about how you can. Church, we're in Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. And we're going to consider verses 1 through 7 in a message that I have titled, Growth, Problems, and Progress. And I gave it that title because I couldn't think of anything better. I tried all week to come up with something catchier. And it's what we see. We see the church growing. They encounter some problems. They solve the problems. And then the gospel advances. There's more progress. Growth, problems, and progress. If you've got your copy of God's Word, and I hope you do, go ahead and make your way to Acts 6. I, I want to set some context this morning. When we arrive at Acts 6, there are 12 apostles serving a church of now probably 15 to 20,000 people. Satan has filled the hearts of a couple of church members named Ananias and Sapphira, but it didn't stop the mission. The temple leaders imprisoning and beating the apostles didn't stop the mission. But maybe, just maybe, growth could stop the mission. You say, well, what do you mean, Pastor? Well, every, every leader, every business leader, every manager has grappled with the challenges that growth brings, right? Every entrepreneur, you've probably heard them say, well, we we want to grow, but we just don't want to grow too fast. Or maybe you've heard a restaurateur who has a very successful restaurant. Why don't you open another one on the other side of town? Well, there's so much involved logistically. There's, there's a lot of work to be done to grow. Growth always seems to bring problems. Growth brings change. You, you can't grow and not change. And, and Change threatens our perceived sense of security, the security that we place in the familiarity of the present. Maslow once said, you will either step forward into growth or you'll step back into safety. And the question before the church in Acts 6 is, what are you going to choose? Are you going to serve the mission or are you going to serve vulnerable church members? But I'm so glad that we serve God and not man. And with God, he takes an either-or world and makes it both and. He says, let me show you how you're going to grow and you're going to meet the needs of vulnerable 
members. Would you hear with me the word of God? Now in these days, verse 1 of chapter 6, now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before themselves and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Would you bow with me, church? God, help us in the moments to come to, to really internalize this text. God, to, to learn from it, to be open to obey it. God, to, to have our minds and our hearts shaped by your word in such a way that we would be a church that prizes kingdom growth, that pursues biblical, spirit-led solutions to practical problems, so that we would see even more people who are far from God brought into the kingdom. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing I want you to see in this text, it's in verses 1 and 7. It's, it's kind of like bookends. The, the church is growing in one, and verse 7 tells us it's, it's really growing. The first thing I want you to see is that the church should have a word-driven growth mindset. This is a non-negotiable. It almost shouldn't have to be said, but there are some churches that are like, you know, I'm pretty happy with how we are. If nobody else ever showed up, if nobody else ever came, that would be great because it's us four and no more, close the doors. You know what? That's a sinful attitude. It, is, it is, does not glorify God to, stay, to, to prize comfort over the progress of the gospel. It, it dishonors God. It dishonors our mission. We should want to grow. Do you want to grow, church? Wait. Now, we don't want to just grow for growth's sake. We want to grow rightly. We want to grow in the gospel. In, in this passage, we, we see in verse 1, they're increasing in number in these days. What days are those? The days that the apostles are preaching and teaching the word. And then in verse 7, we see this statement that the church multiplied greatly. And between verse 1 and verse 7, there's this massive problem that threatens to take the apostles away from the ministry of the Word. But God gives a solution to the problem and the gospel advances. And I, I don't know for you, but for me that's good news. Because did you know that churches have problems sometimes? And, and here's, what, here's what Luke says about problems. God will give solutions to the problems that arise if we will pursue them in obedience to the word. And that problems don't have to rob us of a passion to reach other people. In fact, about every time you see the church grow in Acts, you'll see a problem in Acts. And a lot of times we look at Acts and we're like, Acts was all about the church growing. And then we, we forget that they had problems they had to overcome. 
So we shouldn't get down or discouraged because there's problems. If you're looking for a problem-free church, good luck with that one. Well, I went to the church down the street, and they were problem-free. Really? Just stay there a little bit longer. And, and the reality is, if you find a perfect church, the, the moment you show up, it's not going to be perfect anymore. <laughs> Think about that. So, so Luke is commending to us growing churches. It's good, right? And he's not just commending it to us here. He's commending it to us by how many times he keeps telling us that the church was growing. Chapter 241, there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Chapter 247, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Chapter 4, verse 4, many who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. Chapter 5, verse 14, more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. If you keep reading Acts chapter 9, 13, 16, 19, and 21, he's going to keep saying God was adding, God was adding, God was was adding because he wants us to see something through the repetition that a spirit-filled church never abandons the mission of God. They keep on wanting to grow for the glory of God. Now we have to be careful, right, when we talk about church growth. There was a whole movement that began in the 1970s and really continued until about the early 2000s called the church growth movement. And some churches became so consumed with wanting to grow that they forgot what is supposed to be the source of the growth. And they, they went from the gospel to gimmicks. They went from, man, we, we really want to grow people in the word to any old growth will do. Just as long as we have backsides and seats, we'll celebrate. No matter what's going on on the platform or what words are coming out, out of the mouth of the preacher, it doesn't matter. You say, did that really happen? Yes, it really happened. In 2006, the Arkansas Times reported about a church that built a baptistry in the kids' ministry area around a fire engine, and when a child was baptized, sirens went off and confetti was fired from the cannons. Separate from the gathered body, fully misunderstanding the magnitude and the gravity of what baptism symbolizes. Church, even the world recognized that was wrong. Even the Arkansas Times is like, what is this? I thought baptism was, was about something significant and costly. How did, we, how did we get there? We got there because we got more interested in people filling seats than, in, than people filling seats and being meaningfully discipled in the Word of God. Luke is not commending to us growth that comes from gimmicks. He's commending us to us growth that is word-grounded and word-saturated. Peterson says this, growth continued because the apostles persisted in their daily ministry of public proclamation and teaching about Jesus. When people hear the gospel, when people behold the beauty of Jesus, when people repent of their sin and trust in Jesus and get baptized into the family to be loved and supported and challenged and spurred on in the work of love and good deeds until Christ returns, that is biblical growth. Not baptisms with fire trucks and confetti and giving away Corvettes on Easter Sunday. We don't want phony growth. We don't want gimmicky growth. We want gospel growth for the glory of our King. Because all the other growth, it's phony baloney. Secondly, do y'all want to grow? Y'all still want to grow? All right. That was not convincing, but... I want to grow for the glory of God in the Roanoke Valley. Do you? 
All right, well, if we do, here's the next thing you need to understand. Growth often comes with growing pains. I remember when I was a seven-year-old boy, I woke up one night with unbearable pain in the back of my knees. You know what that's called? That's called growing pains. It was just this aching and throbbing that wouldn't go away. And I did what any kid does when he's got growing pains and he can't sleep. I went and told my mom and dad about it. And I'm pretty sure it was a Saturday because my father, who is a pastor, was particularly unhappy that I went and woke him up. And you know what he did? He sent me back to bed. Well, it happened a few more times until my dad finally said this. I'll never forget it. Son, if it hurts that bad, we got to get you to the hospital where you can wait around all night with a bunch of other people who are in worse pain than you are. Are you ready to go? And I went back to bed and stayed there till daylight. And I survived to tell you that story. Some growing pains can re- resolve themselves. But growing pains in the church usually can't. Uh, The growth of the church in Acts brought a clash of cultures. It brought a charge of favoritism. And most severely, it brought an implied request for the apostles to turn away from the work of the word to the work of widows. In Acts, progress is always, nearly always followed by a problem. One day the church will be problem-free, but for now we have to tackle problems that present themselves in obedience to the word rather than allowing the mission to be sidelined by the problem. We've got to overcome our problems with gospel solutions so that the gospel can go forward. In verse 1, the, the people are complaining. The word complaining here means murmuring or grumbling. Did, did you all know that grumbling isn't godly? And that complaining isn't Christ-like? I'm aware of that, but sometimes I still want to grumble and complain. Anybody else guilty out there? The church, like the Israelites in the wilderness, are beginning to grumble and complain. And and Paul tells us over in Philippians 2.14, Do everything without grumbling or complaining. Uh, Many churches lack power today, Because they are lingering in the land of grumbling rather than solving their problems and moving forward in the mission of God. Did you know some Christians won't know what to do when they get to heaven because there's not going to be anything to complain about? I mean, their their life's mission is is to find something to grumble or complain about rather than to, to go full bore with the kingdom of God and to grow for the glory of Christ. So, so what's the difference between grumbling and, and helping, right? Because if there's a real problem here in the text. So how do you know if you're grumbling or you're being helpful? Because if there's a real need, it needs to really be addressed. It's, it's the way you address it, right? To, to not grumble, but to be helpful, you go to the right person, at the right time, with the right attitude, and you go in love. You you don't wait for a forum where there's a bunch of people around to voice your concern and make the person look bad. You go to the person who might be able to do something about it in private and in love to solve the problem. Otherwise, you're grumbling and complaining. You go to your leaders with a, a desire to serve and support and to listen. After all, 
did you know that there might be some things your leader's aware of that you aren't aware of when you're bringing up the problem? Now that I'm a lead pastor, I, I know that more than ever. There's pressures and demands and variables that I would have never thought of until, as some, some people on my staff say, you sit in the big chair. Well, let me tell you, there's days you don't want to sit in the big chair. There's days you don't have all the answers to all the problems. Now, in this case, we know that murmuring is wrong, but, but again, there's a real problem. The church had established a daily food ministry for widows, and some of the widows who were Hellenists, you say, what's a Hellenist versus a Hebrew? They were all Jews, right? But Hellenists were those who only spoke Greek because they had been scattered centuries before among the nations and they had learned the Greek language. Whereas the Hebrews were those who still spoke Aramaic and also knew Greek. So they're able to do church together because they have a common language. But it seems like the Hellenist widows, those who had been scattered were being neglected while the Hebrew widows were being served daily in the ministry to the widows. In the Old Testament, care for widows is important, right? The people of God are commanded not to neglect their widows. And here in Acts, the church has been fulfilling the spirit of God's law by displaying God's care for the vulnerable widows among them. And it seems like the ministry had been going very well until we get to Acts 6. And then the pressures that come with growth overwhelmed the system and led to an implied charge of prejudicial treatment. Some of the Hellenist widows were being neglected. Now, now this is surely unintentional, right? The apostles were not walking around going, well, we don't care about the Hellenist widows. We only care about the Hebrew widows. That would be crazy. They were the ones who preached at Pentecost, and many Hellenists came into the church. They, they were grateful for the addition that was happening. The apostles were not intentionally being prejudicial. But hear me and hear me well. Hear me well. The charge of prejudice is serious because it seriously misrepresents the gospel. Of all the places in the world where we don't want to be even have the charge lingering around that it could be possible, it's in the church. We don't want to be charged with prejudice. Peterson says this, Christians in every age and social context need to be aware of the threat that cultural and ethnic differences can pose to their unity in Christ. The gospel brings very different people together through the same sin-cleansing, life-giving blood of Jesus. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the same sin-cleansing, life-giving blood of Jesus is available whether you're red or yellow, black or white? Whether you're old or young or in between? Whether you're an engineer or a sanitation engineer? Whatever you are, wherever you come from, that the blood of Christ unites us in Him. As, as we strive by God's grace to be a church in Roanoke, for Roanoke, that looks like Roanoke, we're going to encounter some questions and some challenges along the way. But I want us to notice something here in Acts. The, the answer in Acts and really in the whole New Testament to the problems posed by differences in cultural backgrounds and preferences and experiences, notice how they solved this problem and notice how they didn't. They did not say, well, I tell you what, we'll just have a service for the Hellenists and a service for the Hebrews. They didn't just say, well, I tell you what, 
You Hellenists go over there and you start a church on that end of town. And you Hebrews, you go start a church on that end of town. Y'all figure out your problems. Y'all figure out your problems. And you know what we'll call it? We'll call it a church plant. Do you understand what I'm saying, church? A lot of churches, rather than tackling their problems together, have divided when it's not been necessary. It's not a good witness to the gospel. Jesus died to put his people together. Jesus died to create a counter-cultural family of faith that the world has to go, how in the world do those people get together? It doesn't make any sense. It's because of Jesus. New Testament churches are characterized by an incredible ethnic, socioeconomic, and generational diversity. And that's how God designed it to be. So as we face challenges together that will come as we reach new people in the Roanoke Valley, we cannot adopt worldly wisdom, throw up our hands, and say unity is impossible. Rather, we must look to the cross of Christ which is foolishness to the world, but is the power of God at work in His church. We must decrease so that the kingdom may increase. We, may, we must nail our preferences to the cross so that the gospel can go forward. The Hellenists were the new kids on the block. And what we see is that growth can bring practical problems. But when it does, God will show us a way to find biblically faithful, spirit-led solutions to meet needs and move forward together as one people defined not by our backgrounds, but by the blood of Jesus Christ. You say, well, that sounds great, Daniel. Sounds very theoretical, very pie in the sky. How in the world are you going to do that? Well, I can't. But together, by the power of the gospel, we can so thirdly, we need to see church that we, you say, that is a long sentence. It is, because there's like 17 things I wanted to say, and I didn't have time to do that. So we've got to unite. We see this church functioning in unity to meet practical needs by joyfully, in verse 5, it says, it pleased all of them. They were all happy with the solution. Fifteen to 20,000 believers at a Baptist business meeting, all happy about the decision. Glory, hallelujah. We must unite to meet practical needs by joyfully pursuing biblically faithful solutions. We don't just make it up. we got to look into the heart of God as revealed in His Word with the guidance and oversight of God-called leaders. All of that is in this text. And so I tried to wrap it up in one not very good sentence. But there you go. All right? So let's, let's unpack that a little bit. The, the first business meeting of the church of Jerusalem is found right here in Acts chapter 6. And guess what happened? Their grumbling moved not to more grumbling and opposition to the leaders, but un, unlike Israel in the Old Testament, they actually listened to their leaders, followed biblical guidance, and united and were happy about it just a few verses later. That's amazing to me. It pleased the whole gathering. As a Baptist pastor, that makes me want to dance. I promise I won't do that for you. Unanimous, they got unanimous consent on a contentious issue. Just a few verses earlier, they're saying, well, y'all are being prejudiced. Y'all are overlooking some people. And then a few verses later, everybody's on the same page. 
Acts 15, it happens twice in one chapter at the church of Jerusalem and at the church of Antioch. They have two business meetings in two churches with thousands of people, and it pleased the whole congregation. Can this still happen today? The answer has to be yes. It has to be yes. Because God's word is our authority, not our experience. You say, I've never been in a church like that. Me neither. But by God's grace, that's the church we are becoming. By God's grace, we are on our way to this level of radical unity in the gospel for the glory of God to display His coming kingdom on earth as it is in heaven so that people will come like a moth to a flame to say, is that real? And they'll poke it and they'll test it and they'll find that it is. It's real. Our experiences might say no, but the gospel says yes. And it is God's word, not our personal experiences, that determine how we think of and pursue our life together in the gospel. How in the world does the church tackle such problems with such unity? How do they move from problems to unity and praise and togetherness? The first thing we see is they let, that the church let their leaders lead. The church let their leaders lead. The apostles are no longer calling the shots unilaterally, but they're still leading the church. This is what Christ has called and equipped the apostles to do. This, this pattern, by the way, I am certainly not an apostle. I am not inspired to write scripture, or I haven't worked a miracle in my lifetime. I've seen some miracles happen by prayer, uh, but I've never worked a miracle I am not an apostle. You say, well, well, then this doesn't apply to the church today. It absolutely applies to the church today. And here's how we know. Because the pattern that is being set here continues for the rest of the New Testament. And here's the pattern. Be sure you get this. Men set apart and gifted for the ministry of the word in leading the local church endures throughout the New Testament. You will never find a deviation at any church from that pattern. God's design for his church is for local churches to be led by men working together in the ministry of the word, leading the local church, period, full stop. It's, un, it's not debatable. Any questions on that? Okay. The, the leadership of the apostles is seen in their proposal in verse 3. You say, well, prove to me that the apostles are leading. Well, look at what they do. The, the church takes a vote, but how do they take a vote? And it's not really a vote. It's just like, yes, that's great. But how do they know what they're supposed to do? The apostles provide the framework for the congregation to function within. They provide the criteria to guide them in selecting new leaders for the church's ministry to widows so that they can continue the ministry of the word. And I don't know how many criteria you see, but I see seven criteria in verse 3. What, what are the criteria? First, they had to be from among the church. They didn't outsource the ministry to widows. They weren't like, well, let's go ask the world to take care of our widows. They were like, you got to find somebody in the family to take care of the family, which is a pretty biblical principle, amen? Secondly, we need seven of them. Thirdly, they need to be men. Fourthly, they need to be men of good repute. Fifth, they must be full of the Holy Spirit. Sixth, they must be full 
of wisdom. And finally, they needed to meet with the approval of the apostles who would then appoint them. Which implies that the apostles have sort of this, this ultimate like, alright, let's make sure that, that we've got the right guys. While these men are not called deacons, they are set apart to, to serve tables. And the word serve there is the verbal form of the word deacon. When we get to 1 Timothy and Titus, we see that some churches have deacons and other churches don't have deacons. You say, well, pastor, how do you know that? Because in 1 Timothy, Paul says, hey, this is what deacons should be and do. But in Titus, he doesn't even talk about deacons. Well, why not? Because the church selects deacons when they reach a place where the internal, internal practical ministry needs exceed the capacity of the pastor elder overseers when that happens the church identifies deacons to lead the body by serving the body so that the pastors may serve the church by leading in preaching and teaching and applying the word to the church that was a lot but here it is deacons lead by serving pastors serve by leading. Deacons are not to be a source of grumbling. They are God's answer to grumbling. The second thing we see, other than that the church allows the leaders to lead, is that the apostles don't lead arbitrarily, which should be a comfort to the church, right? This is not worldly leadership, it's leadership that's governed by the Word of God. And the apostles aren't leading arbitrarily, they're leading out of the heart of God. And pastors are not apostles, so the only way for me to lead us effectively and faithfully is for me to keep going back to the Bible and asking what does the Bible say about where we are and how can we best apply ourselves to God's desire and design for His church in the present situation. I submit to you that the reason a lot of churches have gotten in the trouble that they've gotten into is because they had leaders a long time ago who stopped asking what does God's word say and instead they said what does the loudest naysayer say and what do I have to do to keep my job and they stopped looking into the word and churches fell apart and they got into a land of laziness and lethargy and ineffectiveness because they haven't been led by the word in a long time. With God as my help, I'm leading us to do the word. In, in the case of finding servants for this particular problem, the apostles seek men from among the family. This isn't time for Hank to invite his friend Ricky Bobby to do something for the church because he's got a sweet racing truck converted into a catering business. They, they, they also seek seven men, not just men, but seven men, a, a number filled with biblical significance because they want the job done well and right and in a way, in a way that would bring rest from their present problem. These, these seven servants, like deacons today, also needed to be men of good repute, meaning they were well attested, they had a good reputation outside of the church, and finally they were to be full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom. The filling of the Spirit needed to give them a special wisdom for this task. Now all believers should be filled with the Spirit, right? But in this case, they, they need spirit-filled men who have a, a particular gospel wisdom. Think about how, 
how fraught with potential difficulty this was. You're neglecting our widows, man. What is going on? We need men who are going to get in there and they're going to recognize when somebody is trying to be used by Satan or the forces of the demonic to turn this situation south and to sabotage the solution. They need men who are going to be able to deal with continued grumbling and complaining and what ifs, but what abouts, and they're going to be able to get in there and with the wisdom of God, manage personalities and opportunities and vulnerabilities. They're going to need to be able to do all that in light of the gospel of Christ. So, so we need seven men And we need you, church family, to pick them out. This word, pick out, in the Greek, doesn't just mean to arbitrarily select. It means to select with discernment. In other words, all these seven criteria that the apostles just gave, now church family, together, select with discernment the men that God is raising up for this task. It's not a popularity contest. It's not, you know, I'm going to nominate my husband because maybe he will grow in Christ if he gets to be one of these seven men. That's not what's going on here. Here's the criteria. Apply the criteria to the body with discernment, with prayerful discernment, and then we will appoint them. The apostles want the right man for the task because the problem is serious. The church clearly listens to their leaders. How do we know? Because the apostles, they get the men and they pray over the seven men with no objections or reservations. And they are commissioning them to this task of the ministry of widows. Now, what I find interesting is that all of the names of the men who are selected are Greek names. You say, why is that interesting? Well... There's not an absolute one-to-one correspondence if you had a Greek name that it meant you were a Hellenist. But if you have a Greek name, it's pretty likely that you were a Hellenist. And certainly, Nikolaus, the proselyte, would have been a Hellenist. You say, what are you saying? The church began with just the Hebrews, right? Back when it was the apostles in the 120, it was just the Hebrews, man. Just this tight-knit family. And the first major decision in the body of Christ outside of having apostles, is to get these seven new leaders. And there's been a problem, and the Hellenists have been overlooked. And the church, which was in a sense founded on the traditional charter members, the Hebrews. Y'all following me this morning? The charter members said, We better get some Hellenists in here to be a part of this solution. We better not be throwing our weight around and saying, well, I've been here the longest. I knew Peter back back before he was preaching good gospel sermons. I knew him back when he was denying Jesus, so you better put me on the board. The church stepped back so that the gospel could go forward. And they did it by listening to their leaders who provided a biblical framework for addressing the problem. And then they came together as one with great joy to select spirit-filled servants to tackle the practical problems of the day. Why? So that God's leaders could keep laboring in the word and in prayer so that the church could grow. Because where the gospel is neglected, there will be no growth that counts in eternity. 
And so the last thing we see in this text quickly in verses 2 and 4 is this. We need to encourage the church's leaders to prioritize prayer and the ministry of the word. We need to encourage our leaders to prioritize prayer and the ministry of the word. In in response to the problem of the Hellenist widows, the the apostles could have just tried harder. Y'all remember that Hertz commercial? We try harder instead of we try harder. They, They could have tried harder. They could have mustered up more strength. But that was not an acceptable solution. So they gathered the full number of the disciples. In other words, they got the the whole church together. And this is the first place that Luke calls all believers disciples, interestingly enough. During his earthly ministry, disciples were people who physically followed Jesus. But now you can be a follower of Jesus. Did you know that? You can follow the risen and ascended King who's poured out His Holy Spirit to empower you, to obey Him, and take Christ into your community to deny, to deny yourself, take up your cross, follow him in obedience and giving and service and sharing and prayer and mission at work and at home and so much more. And the test of the obedience of the disciples who are supposed to be following Jesus, it has come and it's come in the form of a problem. And it's a problem because here's what the apostles say, uh, hey guys, we can't do the whole distrib- distribution to the widows anymore. Say what? Yeah, we, we just can't keep doing this anymore. We, we would love to, but we've reached a tipping point because if you haven't noticed, we're flesh and blood just like you are. We get 24 hours in our day just like you do and seven days in our week just like you do. We, we have reached the tipping point And we can't shoulder the load anymore. Verse 2 literally says, We, having left the word of God, are ministering at tables. This problem was on the verge of taking out the proclamation of the gospel altogether. You say, well, why is this serious? Well, well, think through it with me for a second, church. Sister Sally Sue was going to have to be okay with her meal being dropped off by someone other than Peter, James, or John. You mean I don't get to see Peter? I don't get to see John? And we've got to see more of the New Testament unfold before we see this. But what we're going to see after the apostles are off the scene is that there's another principle in this text that does not change in the rest of the New Testament. Not only is the church to be led by men who work together in a team, as a team in the work of the Word, God is also not pleased when those men shortchange their work in the Word or the work of oversight that flows from the Word to do other ministry. Now notice I said shortchange because I love serving people. I like coming in this gym and dust mopping the gym sometimes. I like finding trash, picking it up and throwing it away. I love doing practical ministry. But when it gets to the point that you don't have any time and sufficient time to labor in the Word, that's a problem. And the church has to keep saying to her leaders, keep laboring in the Word, keep leading us in the Word, keep loving the Savior from the Word. The word, Word, occurs three times in these seven verses. Verse 2, verse 4, verse 7. The work of the Word has to be primary because Jesus wants His church to be led, how? 
through and by and under His Word. And laboring in the Word is hard work. Even Spirit-filled apostles who've physically seen Jesus and been taught by Jesus have limits. They must prioritize the Word. Now, I've heard the, I've heard the joke. You've probably heard it. You know the joke about pastors and they only work one day a week. You, you may have even said it. And, and, and here's the reality. It, it's funny because there's some pastors out there that make it true. And honestly, they shouldn't be pastors. Because the work of the Word is really hard work. And a pastor who loves his people well will love them by working his tail off in the Word. You say, well, you're just patting yourself on the back. No, I'm not. I, I fall short. But that's not my opinion. That's the Bible's opinion. What does Paul say to Timothy? You work like a hard-working farmer. What does he say in 1 Timothy 5, 17? Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. 2 Timothy 2, 15, he says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. And when it comes to the work of the word, Hard work must be there, and yet you can work your tail off, and if God doesn't bless it, nothing will happen. So what else has to happen? What do they say in verse 4? Not just we're going to labor in the Word. Do you see it? We, which is, is fronted in the Greek sentence for emphasis, all of us together as a team, we are in this work of the Word. We will devote ourselves. The word devote means to persist in, endure in. We will devote ourselves to, is anybody there? Prayer and the ministry of the Word. The apostles then and pastors today, we've got to understand our primary task is the ministry of the Word. And yet, if we work our tails off and God doesn't move, nothing will happen. We must beseech, we must beg God to honor the work in the Word. And so pastors don't just labor in the Word, they labor in prayer. They pray and they pray and they pray. You say, what do you pray for? We've already seen it in Acts. We pray for boldness in our speech. We pray for protection in the face of persecution. We pray for opportunities to share the gospel. We pray that God would change stony, hard hearts and that the Spirit would move and rescue sinners from death, hell, and the grave. We pray that the Word of God might do the work of God in the world and in His people for the glory of Christ. We pray and we labor in the Word. And what is the result of a church that puts grumbling aside, that prioritizes word-based growth, that entrusts spirit-filled servants with practical ministry in the body, and that expects her pastors to labor in prayer in the word? What is the result of that? Look at verse 7. The word of God continued to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly. 
in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The Word of God grew. What do you mean the Word of God grew? The Word of God is complete. How does the Word of God grow? More people believe it. And its influence in the community expands. And it expands even to people who surprise us. Do you see what's happening in verse 7? The apostles were just beaten by priests in Sanhedrin. And the church had a problem that resulted from growth. And rather than grumble and complain and divide and split and have business meetings ad infinitum where they kept bringing up the same old garbage from the past and the problem, they got together, they united behind their leaders. And people who were far from God and adversarial to the gospel trusted Jesus. Do you believe that can happen in the Roanoke Valley? Do you think our enemies... Enemies of God and the gospel can become friends because the church prioritizes and prizes the gospel. I believe it can happen, church. I believe. I don't know why I'm so emotional. I apologize. Church, if I didn't believe that God could do this, I would go make money and have fun. I'm just being honest. I believe from the depths of my soul that if we proclaim the word and we solve problems together in obedience to the word, that God will move in our midst and he will shake up this valley for the glory of Christ. So this morning, Paul, I want to ask you or just our worship team, if y'all would go on and come and maybe even just, just play softly as I close. I guess I'm, I want to ask you this. Do you believe it too? Do you believe it too? Do you want to see it happen? Do you want to see families transformed by the gospel? Do you want to see the word increase? in the valley is your default setting grumbling or is it grace is your expectation unity or is it division are you genuinely willing to follow godly leaders who are trying to lead from the word Or do you have to have it your way? This isn't Burger King. Do I prize the work of the word and encourage my leaders in it? Am I open to being shaped by the spirit into someone who can serve the body so that we can stay on mission and the number of disciples in the valley and around the world may multiply greatly. This message today is for the church. This message today is for believers in Jesus. You say, well, I'm not a believer in Jesus yet. I want to talk more to you, but right now I'm talking to Christians who love North Roanoke and are a part of North Roanoke or soon want to be a part of North Roanoke. church, we've got to get this right. 
We have to get this right. And when the church gets this right, when we live for the glory of Jesus and get this right, they're going to know it. We get this right, the rest falls into place. So my, my prayer for you this morning, my prayer for me this morning, is that we would believe this is possible. And that anything that stands in our heart between where we are and the vision that God is writing on our hearts from Acts 6, 1 through 7, that God would give us the freedom and the liberty in this place to come and kneel at the front and to give it to God. Maybe you just want to say to God, it's been a long time since I've believed that's possible, but I see that it's possible. I believe that it's possible. God, make me a part of the solution. God, do that in this place. Do that among these people. Stir in our hearts for the glory of Christ. Wherever you are, whatever you need, I'm going to invite you to go ahead and stand, and I want to pray as you stand. God in heaven, would you send the winds of revival our way for your glory and the glory of your Son and the good of those who still need to hear the gospel and become obedient to the faith. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke podcast. You can connect with us at northroanoke.org or download our app in your device's app store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.